0: Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins, and we are continuing our Sundance coverage with a roundtable featuring the filmmakers of Sundance's Midnight Shorts. If you're not familiar with Midnight Shorts, it's my favorite part of the festival. It is a short film block featuring the dark, weird, the horror, the comedy, the things that make you cringe and make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel seen. But none of these are made without intention and love and playfulness and just amazing filmmaking. So in this roundtable, we heard from directors, producers, writers, and a whole room full of people who were curated to basically like let's get all weird together. And it felt like that in the room in the best way possible. And I think if you're not chasing your bliss and chasing your weird as a filmmaker, you're not doing it right. So anyway, um, in this conversation, we talked about everything from body horror and it being a tool to face your like kind of darkness as a filmmaker, technical challenges from a shorts perspective, uh, how you wrangle reindeer, do not go on the right side of them. Stay tuned for that. Engineering a bike rig that lets you exceed the speed limit in New York City, how George Saunders can inform your short filmmaking. And basically, these are just proofs of concept of scrappy, egoless filmmaking and smart filmmaking. Finally, you'll learn how to create a song that will get stuck in your head and force you to contemplate your own legacy. So let's get weird with the Midnight Shorts teams. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. I'm here with the creators of the Midnight Shorts program. We have eight films here, and we have people from different parts of the team. So we'll go around and do an introduction. But before we do that, can somebody tell me what it means to be in the midnight section of Sundance?
3: Ben had a description the other day about the section.
4: Did?
1: What did I say? I have no idea. what I guess it's just, no, I don't know. Someone else. You got it.
5: Yeah, a friend told me that it's the section for the weird.
0: That's, I think, I always, I actually was like, almost titled the name of the email for scheduling it. Like, let's get weird. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's exactly what it is. It's horror. It's the absurd. It's comedy.
4: And fun, right?
0: And really fun. My favorite. And that's all the movies fun. here are fun. Exactly. (laughs) It's a really (laughs) nice palette cleanser if you've seen a a lot of Sundance dramas. Okay, well, we'll start with over here and we'll go around and will you introduce yourselves, your role and your short and what it's about?
6: Cool. Yes. My name is Killian Foisy and I'm one of the directors of the short movie Pipes.
2: And I'm uh, Jessica Meyer and I'm also one of the directors of the short movie Pipes.
6: It is about a plumber that needs to fix a broken pipe in a gay fetish leather club. And it is also an animated movie, 2D animation. I think that's it.
3: My name is Valeria Hoffman. I'm the writer-director of Alien 89. And the short film tells the story of Sabina, a gamer, that she's been harassed inside of a shooter video game. And it's a techno-thriller shot in a first-person perspective.
7: And I'm Dani Camino, I'm the producer and well, the short film also has uh, animation, 3D animation, photogrammetry, mixes a lot of techniques and live action.
8: My name is uh, Per-Joseph Idiwoma, I'm the producer of uh, Unborn Biru. Yeah, next one can tell what's the, what the movie is about.
9: Yeah, I'm Inga Elin Marakat, I'm the scriptwriter and director of Unborn Biru. And the film is about a pregnant widow that steals silver from a dead Sámi person and cursed.
5: Uh, I'm Andreas Nilsson. I'm the director of Claudio's Song. And that film is like a
1: gangster sci-fi about uh, oral history.
0: The great summary of that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I'm Ben Brewer. I directed A Folded
4: Ocean, which is about a couple getting... Intimate with each other in a horrific way. I'm Oscar Boyson, co-writer and director of Power Signal, which is about a, a New York City where there's an alien presence, but only the delivery workers know about it.
10: My name's Daphne Gardner, and I'm the writer and director of In the Flesh, which is a story about a woman who's addicted to masturbating with her bathtub faucet, and one day the pipes explode.
0: Now, what was? We'll go around in opposite direction. Now, what was the inspiration for the short, but also your goal with it.
10: Excuse me. So the inspiration was desire, wanting to tell a story about fear and desire and the places that those intersect and how they can be both hilarious and horrifying for all of us as we grapple with what we want in sex and expression. And the goal was to try and capture I don't know. I just think jerking off with a bathtub faucet is really funny. Um, But I also wanted to talk about um, what it means to have your own memory and mind sort of betray you when you're in the quest for um, pursuing pleasure and then have haunting memories come up and what that means. How about for Power Signal?
4: The inspiration for Power Signal was kind of born out of the pandemic, the city being so empty and quiet at night, except for these delivery workers on e-bikes this like, population grew so fast to about 70,000 workers during the pandemic. And we've also just seen like the rise of the e-bike um, in New York City. And I was kind of inspired by this idea that the city felt like a, a desert or a western. And these guys were the cowboys zipping around on the e-bikes. And I think the goal was to make something that was about the delivery workers and and almost started and felt like a documentary and kind of honored what it's like to, to do this job at a moment when we really divided to like inside and outside and essential and non-essential and people who are ordering food and people who are delivering it. But then for the movie to kind of surprise you and turn into something completely different as this guy has this increasingly bizarre night
1: what is it again we're saying? Uh,
0: The source of inspiration Uh, and like what goal or intention you went into.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, my short is about a couple that discovered that you sort of are introduced to them having this kind of playful couple. And I was thinking about sort of intimacy between couples and what kind of is like a weird violation of your ability to feel like your separate entities. I was thinking about like when you go to a dinner and you have, you know, a couple who's awkwardly doing that thing where they're correcting each other mid-story. Like, no, it wasn't there. It was here. And I think that is nails on a chalkboard to all of us, but I started thinking like, well, this feels like sort of, I guess, immune response from a person who feels like their brain is supposed to be one with the other person's. And so that's kind of this strange, almost like supernatural occurrence. And I've been interested in love as the engine for something kind of scary. And so I just enjoyed looking at stories of how love gets explained through history. And one of the great ones was in Plato's Symposium, talking about early man as being two humans joined at the back and, and that Apollo divided this creature to lessen their power. And so I just thought about how interesting it is that the Greeks were trying to warn against this sort of homogenizing of two people that it's important to create this to maintain longing. And, and so at any rate, those things were kind of, I just thought, oh, it'd be interesting to see the ultimate homogenizing of a couple and just how gross that would be. And it shouldn't be our goal as people looking for partners. Yeah, for sure.
5: Yeah, our, our film was inspired by an encounter I had with a, a Swedish... Male tutti frutti model slash influencer who told me a story about his Instagram account that he that was kind of you know the Faberge egg in his life that he cherished and one day he woke up and he couldn't access his Instagram account and just totally freaked out and had a traumatic experience and tried to you know contact the Instagram or whatever and and uh, then uh, a couple of days later he got access again and then a few days later after that. He was contacted by the Swedish secret police who told him that his Instagram had been hacked by ISIS to plan a terror attack. I found that story interesting, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the story we wanted to tell <laughs> in this film. It, was, it felt like too complex. But I, I just told this story to my friend, David Coldbush, who's the screenwriter. And uh, he took that and added a layer of uh, mortality and how to create a legacy for yourself.
0: Hmm. This is Claudio's song.
5: That's clever song, yeah.
9: Yeah, I got the inspiration to write my story for unborn biru from my Sami ancestors and some real events that happened a time ago, back in history, um, and also want the woman's perspective and my uh, ancestors have given birth mountains and the hard life on the tundra with reindeers and the nomadic life so and I also wanted to use my own fear like the body horror Mm -hmm. something going on with your body you're all alone in the mountain and nobody can help you Mm -hmm. that's really creepy I think.
0: I'm noticing a theme of Fear, digging into our own fears around love, around our bodies, around the world falling apart around us and the unexpected mortality.
5: That was a very fleshy,
0: a good, a lot of flesh, a lot of body horror in a great way. Um,
3: when in Alien 89, the direct inspiration was a, a true event of a, an old friend from school that she sent this video to all of our contacts. Uh, saying that she's been suffering harassment inside of Counter-Strike. And the video was really long, like 45 minutes of she speaking to the camera with a white background, like a white sheet. And we took that, but we had a lot of different sources of inspirations coming from different screens. old video games I used to play or we used to play, and also the Chilean riots during the 20. 20- it immediately became part of the film too because everything looked like a video game and suddenly all of the screen was taken by this event. And so, I don't know, the goal was was making kind of a research uh, that has been really successful because everyone is telling their own interpretation of the film and it's been really useful because everyone connects in a really different way, you know, being gamer or not. They connect with the idea of this violence inside of the internet. So yeah, that was it.
0: Has there been any reaction that has surprised you? Any way that somebody connected that you didn't expect?
3: Yeah. I mean, I suppose that I thought that people who has no idea about computers wouldn't like get it, but it actually does. They do understand even if they don't they don't ever play it a game. What's going on? And they feel and they kind of connect with the protagonist. So it, that's been really cool.
6: All right. Yeah. So the first idea the, the the plumber going to a gay fetish club kind of, it's based on a real location or it was real. It's still real, but it, but it closed down. It's a sex club in Zurich. And it was, I kind I went there once and it was a very, Crazy experience very over- closer okay, very overwhelming, very crazy, a lot of crazy people it was just it seemed like a cool way to express through animation the, the weirdness of that community and the, the, the overwhelming feeling and also a little bit of pressure that comes from that confrontation
2: yeah, yeah, and I think the goal was. Also for us, for a long time, we had to figure that out ourselves because in the beginning, the story was much more serious. And now it's a full-on comedy, as you've seen, it's a funny little movie. But we did think a lot about, you know, what decisions we're making, you know, representing a community that is already so marginalized and underrepresented and maybe also misrepresented. So we kind of also wanted not to laugh at it, but kind of with it Mm -hmm. to take these you know, objectively funny situations and make them relatable to the general audience without, you know, making fun of the community. And we hope that we achieved it a little bit. It's a huge responsibility, but we really had fun making the movie. And I think
0: it feels very (laughs) like sex positive and not making fun of, but playful within the community.
6: At the end of the day, it's a movie about acceptance, about self-acceptance and we thought that comedy was the way to to make it just relatable for people and to take off the edge of such a weird topic
0: speaking, speaking of comedy were was there when you were finding that tone was there anything that you had considered including in the short that you ultimately ended up cutting cuz you're like oh well this is going too far or this isn't landing
6: well there was a lot of things that we cut yeah. because our way of working was that we kind of just gathered ideas and at the end we had a huge pile of different things and when we actually construct the shots as you might know in animation you have to think about every shot everything every single detail in what you see and so we could just add to the image with the ideas that we've gathered so there is a lot of weird stuff but mainly it might not be the thing that we cut were not weird per se but maybe just didn't work that well or mm-hmm. didn't work the way we wanted. Yeah.
2: Right. I think the things that were cut were the boring things. Right. <laughs> so the most scandalous ideas we kept, <laughs> I think. Yes.
5: Why, why, why did the club shut down? That's a really
6: sad news.
2: Actually, I don't think we we know because well, we weren't. I mean,
6: yeah. it happened during COVID. That's it. Oh it's yeah. Because yes. of COVID, no one yeah. social distancing. Yeah. So the I sex mean, club mean, is not the right place to go <laughs> <Yeah>. during COVID. <laughs> yeah. You should contact. You made an incredible ad for them. Well, <laughs> maybe they can reopen that. But, ah. yeah. but we didn't base the design of the club on the on the, thing, on the actual club itself. Yeah.
2: No. And in a very early storyboard or story beat, we had a shot outside of the club where you could actually see, you know, the name and everything. But in the end, we consciously cut that. And we were like, no, we need to make our own space. And this is not, you know, we don't want to have, you know, people who might, you know, live in Zurich, may have gone there and know the place. We Don't want them to be like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. We want it to be a universal space. It could be anyone's basement for all we know. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about cutting because I think we've all seen the short films that has the scene that you're like, why? Why is this here? (laughs) Or what? And you spent how much money? So I'm like revisiting personal trauma. (laughs) So yeah, this is all open it up to the group, but let's talk about the biggest cuts that had to get made and what was that discovery
7: process? I guess for us, for example, we spent such a long time since we shot and then we received the animation that it was a long process of having the film ready, like at least like months and then viewing it again and like fixing details. And at one point we had a a character that happened in the animation that there was no reason really for it to be there. So it was like, maybe we have to change the animation we already closed the process with the other colleagues in Argentina. And it was like, it's necessary, we need it, the film needs it. And they were very willing to do it again, like all over again, we're fans of the project. And that was really cool. But it only happened after it, it like really sat down and it sunk and Valley discovered little things in that process. And then also all the post-production was very long. Yeah, we even
3: sent it to a festival and then I realized that we should take that character out. Interesting. And now I hate him. He's like a nightmare. <laughs> it was horrible. Like, like, why is this guy here? There was like a, I don't know. But now he doesn't
1: exist. So.
0: <laughs> That's satisfying. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was just going to say that my theory of editing, or rather my ethos of it came from this Book that came out last year, just articulate really well is George Saunders' book, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. It's
0: so good. It's an
1: amazing analysis of Russian short stories. And through that, you kind of understand he has these great ways of describing how you make a piece that feels sort of replete, like there's nothing uh, extraneous and there's nothing that wasn't exploited that they should have. And he sort of makes this point that we can't help but sort of assess the efficiency afterwards and say, oh, we kind of self-edit it, uh, you know, once we're done with it. And so I think the short story is a great place because every word, every sentence is sort of scrutinized on that level. And, I, and for me, filmmaking is the same way. I don't believe in using a shot that has even remotely the similar meaning to another shot. And in fact, when I watch films where I feel that there are two shots essentially inhabit the same content or meaning, I immediately sort of disengage. I, I George Saunders describes as your needle going down. Can um, you give an
0: example of, and you don't have to name a specific thing that you saw, but like this shot and it had this, and then you saw the next shot and it was that, and then you,
1: your needle went down. It's funny. So I don't know how, yeah, there's every now and then there are film films that show up that sort of have that. I mean, these short films are a great example of where you can feel that it's a replete, you know, there isn't an ill-considered, but, in terms of this short, I did like we would we sh- there's whole scenes that I just said you know gone. It's it's redundant. You know mm-hmm. I can't stand anything redundant at all, and and I very I, I feel very bad at how harshly I kind of critique something in my head when I see like a shot that has no additional meaning and doesn't have a multivalent sort of meaning. Like one of my favorite filmmakers, Lars von Trier, is obsessed with. The idea that a shot is its own thought and every, you know, that's how it should function. So sorry, this is, I'm done talking about this <laughs> now, but, I do think
0: yeah. that if George Saunders made a short, it would be in the Midnight Shorts section.
5: You know, the way it's composed and mm, yeah. it flows in such a nice, natural way. It feels like it just kind of happened. This is yeah. the folded uh, ocean. Uh, but, but at the same time, it has this post aspect to which kind of forces you to be very pre pre-planned. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so how did that work?
1: I mean, it's funny. I, I, some of it has to be... I mean, I boarded the whole thing. So it's weird. It kind of matches the storyboards. It doesn't match the script that well. But for me, actually, the hardest thing was everything else could be looser because they're just reacting to some crazy thing that's happening to them. But the moment of discovering the crazy thing, and I don't know if everyone else has this with the kind of the higher concept stuff, but finding a way to film People discovering something outrageous, uh, you know, otherworldly. I found that to be incredibly difficult, and so we did a whole takes of them doing this very. Like, oh shit! Oh fuck! What's going on? I just hated it. You know, and I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm asking them to do something impossible. No one knows what the proper reaction is here, and so a lot of it, like we reshot sort of her discovering what was going on, and then me realizing that I'm not nearly good enough as a filmmaker to show them like reacting to it. So, yeah, I mean. It, I'm rambling, but it was boarded and stuff. And then and I just kind of shot loosely around it because I knew how the effects, what I needed for it. Because mainly just like a lot of tracking and mm-hmm. work, but I'm glad it feels just kind of light.
10: Yeah. That's the, it's handheld, right?
1: Yeah, and like most of it.
10: Yeah, because yeah, that flow was very evident to me of like, even though you're in the horror, like there's a flow to it. It feels natural, something growing. Because that was the decision I really made within the flesh was I was like, it has to be locked off for three to feel claustrophobic, to feel tense, like you are in this tight apartment. And we didn't go handheld until the very end when like you're, she's plunged into all of her demons. But I think that's just something I always think about um, ahead of time too, of just, yeah, I don't know, just the feeling, because I'm, I come from editing and to me, Cutting is just, it's like learning your lines as an actor. It's like you have to understand the feeling. You have to understand the motion. It's like becoming the film. and you know so, what the
1: scene's about, you know?
10: Yeah, you have to know it all the way through. And so I think, yeah, just understanding the emotion that your camera position and, and style makes, then that translates translates into the cut. Also, I was going to say, if you direct it, and then you edit it and you hear yourself directing,
4: you will hate yourself.
10: But because you're like, yeah, this tape sucks because what were you saying? Yeah. But I think...
8: Do that, that but better. Yeah. yeah. And We had to cut because of, we had live animals on, on the set oh. because we have, I think it was eight reindeers. Yeah.
0: I think <laughs> the on, only live animal of all the shorts, right? Yeah. We have a snake. Oh, you have yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We only yeah. have
8: animated animals. It's a little bit slower than reindeer, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, because it was a... Kind of a, a cultural clash on the, on, on the Unborn beetle because me and the director, we've grown up with rangers and the guy that handled the rangers, also knew and grown up and has a tourist business based on rangers. And, and then we had a DOP from Oslo who's never seen rangers before. <laughs> and I remember when we started playing the stunt scene where, where there's a woman being dragged after a reindeer it's a stunt double, who has been dragged. And the day before that scene, we shot that scene, we planned with the stunt coordinator. And, you know, DOP said that, oh, I want shoot to shoot this on the right side of the line of reindeers. And the, the reindeer guy said, that, no, if you do that, the, the reindeer won't, they won't get it because the reindeer are used to being worked at from the left side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we talked a little bit about that. And the, the, the evening came, we were closing in on that day, we were shooting that stunt scene. And, you know, it was this small woman's life was hanging yeah. uh, on the reindeer performing w- well. And so I just, just remember talking to the DOP. He got a little bit angry at me because I wanted to shoot on the left side. He went on the right side. So I called the reindeer guy and said, you know, what are, you have to make the decision because you had the reindeers. You know your reindeers. And he said, left side. Okay, well, it is left side. So I called the DOP. I pissed him off because of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wanted the right side because that, that, in that way, he would have gotten the, the sun behind the reindeers. But we had to move to the left side and the sun became like, a little bit from the side that was not f- perfect for him but it was cloudy so it was okay <laughs> got <laughs> it got it. cloudy so got it was okay. okay and yeah we, we, yeah we did it on the left side because he said the reindeer guy said these reindeers are they know how to work on the left side and if you do it on the other side the reindeer that's going to drag the lady might steer off and drag the lady into a sled into a tree
3: <laughs> anything like that
8: so yeah, me, I was one of the extras. And the, of the story extra-
3: becomes real. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I was
8: one of the extras on that, on that scene. And we were actually, all the extras were like human barriers. Because we were standing in the way of the sleds that are made of wood. We were like human barriers if the reindeer snaps and goes staring right into the other reindeers. So it was like, yeah. But that was a so one up. take wonder, no? I mean, yeah, that, that yeah. stunt was, well, the big shot was one take. And the closer ones were actually, we shot from a snowmobile. Oh, yeah. yeah, so we tra- mm. tracked it from snowmobile from the side.
0: Like It's actually a horrifying shot. And yeah. so I'm glad you were able to be on the left side. <laughs> yeah, well,
8: yeah. We're, we're too.
0: So let's talk. I mean, we're kind of getting into production, and I'm curious what the biggest technical challenge was for each project. These are incredibly ambitious from a technical perspective, from a set design and props perspective and art design perspective so yeah let's we'll start with well i guess you just described a very intense technical moment with unborn biru but was there any other what was the biggest challenge with production
8: well well before the director takes off i can say that the the biggest challenge is because we have live animals and the live animals when you set that what do you call that the the thing that you put on them harness uh, the harness when you put on the harness you want to go yeah. They're ready. Yeah, they're ready. And when we shot that stunt scene, the first uh, the image, uh, the first shot of the stunt scene, we put the harness on and it took 30 minutes for the camera department to get ready. And, you know, the rangers were getting more and more anxious, more and more anxious, and you're starting to drag. And we're standing there trying to hold them, you know, trying to hold them off. Big animals, <laughs> you know, trained to drag. And you have, we have old ladies in the extra line. <laughs> I'm kind of young and strong and, and stuff like that. But yeah, that was one of the biggest challenges, you know, the waiting for the camera department when the rainer got ready. You remember anything but except for the cold? We had a minus 20 wow. Celsius and wind.
9: Yeah. I was so nervous for the stunt scene. I remember. <laughs> no
0: sleeping the night before, nerves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we can all agree that you pulled it off and it looks that really is. incredible yes. and horrifying. And now I'm kind of scared of reindeer. So how about with Claudio's song?
5: The, what was the, question the biggest,
0: cha- the biggest cha- challenge? challenge with production. I mean,
5: it's always time, isn't it? Like, we had a day and a half to shoot our film. The whole film? Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's how... So we had to, I mean, I had to kind of, you know... My process, I come from kind of advertising doing... Where we need to move fast. And so, so a film like this, you know, when we have so little time, I always go and shoot it before
0: mm-hmm.
5: with the crew. So that's what we did. And that's all fine. We feel like we have a schedule that's going to work. But then I think the biggest kind of hurdle for us was one of the actors, the actress, she had a long monologue. And sometimes, as it happens with actors, they kind of, you know, freeze up and block. And so she couldn't, she could only do one line at a time. And then we had to kind of tell her what the next line was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. so we had to kind of, be like, okay, this is, oh, this is going to play now. So I had to kind of shoot, I had to block each line uh, and figure out a way to you know, tell that story. Like her choreography, when she's here, she needs to say that line. So it became very like, mathematical in that sense, not so improvised.
0: It feels yeah. operatic though, when, um, with the way that it ended up um, playing.
10: Were you going to say something, Daphne? I just, the schedule paranoid person in me was just like, how did that affect your schedule? If you're moving the camera, were you originally planning, this is so nitty gritty, but did that, you know, did it like make that take twice as long or? Yeah, yeah,
5: three times as long. Mm -hmm. And it ended up us having to cut the ending of that part because it was supposed to be, you know, when they start seeing The idea was that, you know, the whole shipyard, you know, they walked through the shipyard. There's a lot of workers. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to kind of join in Mm -hmm. and, you know, start building the story of this song, you know, becoming a legacy and then cut to whatever it is, the future. (laughs) (laughs) But we had to, the sun went down, so we never got to that. But yeah, I was talking to David today about that, like we were kind of... It was the first time we saw it together on a big screen and we were like, "What do you miss anything? What could we do better? Do you miss that ending? And I, I feel like I, I don't miss it personally. Yeah.
0: Now, we were chatting before the podcast started and at No Film School were super scrappy filmmakers. Can you tell me about the story about that final scene and how you shot it?
5: I mean, the whole film, you mean like how it was, you know... Have we managed to, <laughs> I mean, Yes, so as I said, I, I work in everything. I think you do also Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah yes, yes. so uh, and um, David Colbush, who is right on this, he used to run Roga in London, so and he him and I have been working together a lot, and we just we did these big campaigns for a big company I won't name the name but and we've done a bunch of those, long projects, and we just felt like, should we do something for ourselves? At the end of this shoe. So we that's how, you know, we decided to work on this script. And we basically worked really hard the last day on our commercial shoe and said, Oh my lord, we can wrap around lunch. Thank you. Clap clap. Bye. And then we just stayed and did the you know the future scene. And the the priest, that's my first AD. Didier. <laughs> And I use them a lot, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. amazing <laughs> so,
2: acting, yeah. Amazing and then we face. came
5: back the day after and uh, shot it in a location that we had scouted for a scene in the commercial that we kind of uh, we don't want to do it here, but mm, I think we have something else we want to do there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've done that. I mean, that's something I've started to do. If there is a commercial project that has more than four days, I always allocate. I always try to, you know. I do the job, you know, make it as good as it can be, there. and then I need to make sure that there is at least three hours where my crew, you know, I, I always use the same people, more mm. or less, that they stay and we shoot an art film. Yeah. So and uh, Didier is obviously many roles there, and I have a producer who is an exact, you know, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. one for you, one for them.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're done, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. And
5: then, then what we do on our free time is, uh, is
1: our business.
0: Absolutely. Yeah how about tech challenge for
1: you? on my on the folded ocean so i i shot it myself on my this camera the fx6 which is i love it's i tried the the i just did a feature in the fall and i tried to make them shoot it on the fx6 and they wouldn't let me but i love it it's this you know 4k camera that shoots a beautiful raw image and i like to do all the you know, color and VFX and stuff like that. So I knew I had this little camera that I could just shoot myself. and then for the for lighting, I, I borrowed a light mat, these you know super lightweight LEDs that you can almost tape to the wall. So yeah, it was just the one light, the me with the camera, my brother was you know operating the boom mic that was just going straight into the camera. and it was nice. It felt like being back at film school, but with much better stuff. It made me think that if I was in college now and I had access to that stuff, I'd just drop out immediately. I mean, it's absolutely. So, yeah, there was virtually no technical challenges to speak of.
0: That was the thing that struck me watching your film is that the credits are a single card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was actually very refreshing because it doesn't take, sometimes it takes a village. Sometimes mm-hmm. it takes, I guess, your brother.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think being on bigger sets, so I kind of come from music videos and commercials too, and I've done, Features, I guess I've done two now, but you know, on those sets, I'm not in any way thinking that this isn't how the machine needs to work. It's like looking at a beautifully constructed watch; every piece fits in. But it is funny because technology is sort of advancing, and and they're trying to, I think, make things that a single person can be their own producer. So, yeah, there are two different modes, and I respect them both. But uh, yeah, it's, it was extremely encouraging to me because now when I do anything, meet with anyone, talk to anyone, I have this thing in the back of my head where I just think I can say, well, screw you. I'm just going to go do this because yeah. I have a camera. I did it once. you know. I can figure this out. So it kind of gives you this confidence that I don't have to be like waiting for that email or that
4: phone call to be like, oh, we're going to finance this thing. It's oh, I'll just go do it. Yeah. I guess mine kind of ties in with what we cut question also because I was so intent on... This is for Power Signal. For Power Signal. Yeah. I
0: Which, have, by, I, by the way, we had the DP on the DP roundtable. So you're
4: getting... DP, Zach Cooperstein is, is here in, at Sundance. And he's a real wizard. We had very little time. I guess COVID was a challenge, frankly, because I had this very small slot that Bab uh, Solison McCoon our, our lead actor, was available. And it was at the height of Omicron where just like, you wanted, you know, low budget projects are the ones that go the first. And I really, that was an inspiration too, just wanting to make a cool project that my friends could work on at a moment where there wasn't that much work. Right. And I, and part of why e bikes have just popped in New York City is because you can kind of be lawless. Like you can use the bike lane, but you can also be out in the street. So you can get everywhere much quicker. They all go faster than the speed limit, which is 25 miles an hour. Like I've heard that Fast and Furious wanted to shoot in New York
0: Uh and
4: they were like, nope, you can't shoot here or you can only go 25 miles an hour. (laughs) Uh, we're going to go somewhere else. Not so fast. (laughs) Um, That's a hard and fast rule. But if you're on a bike, especially these e-bikes, you can really, you can go very fast. So I was trying to capture, take advantage of that, which instead of the process trailer or some kind of car rig, I wanted to have something that we could be small enough to go in the bike lanes There's now a bike lane over the Brooklyn Bridge that just happened in the last year. And I wanted to shoot that. I wanted to, I was really intent on anybody who's ever, because I ride my bike everywhere. I have been doing that for 15 years and I wanted anyone else who rides around New York to be like, oh, the geography is really sound. You know, I didn't want there to be any cheats. Yeah. And I felt like it was so important that you could feel these going from one borough to another and which one does as a delivery worker. And we cut a lot of that (laughs) as we tried to get, I mean, I have hours and hours of just uh, poor Babs, like cruising around in January cold at night to put this little map together in my head of where he was going. And as we tried to whittle it down, there's only a few shots that are in there. But the rig that Zach built was really impressive in that, you know, in New York, if you're shooting with a car, you need to involve the police, but because we were bikes, he built this e-bike rig with a, with a camera that had like a gyro stabilizer. So there are pictures of him, you know, we're like going through lights. We're going through traffic lights and whatnot in the bike lane, filming like a really nicely stabilized image of, of these bike riders with no... As if we were just a tiny documentary crew. So I'm really proud of how that stuff came out and how Zach especially... Rose to that challenge, but we also cut a lot more than I think I imagined we'd use.
10: Wait, who drove the camera bike?
4: That responsibility shifted a few times, but there's our key grip was this stud. Who Were
10: they so excited?
4: I mean, they got a good workout. Yeah. That's Even with the e-component, they were pushing it. Yeah,
10: That's just so cool. I really want to see a picture of what the bike rig looked like. And I just can imagine that would be really exciting as a crew member to be like, so you're driving a bike today with a camera on it.
4: It was also just, it was fun. Cause again, we were shooting in January. It's really cold. It'd be like three o'clock in the morning. There aren't that many people out or even, I don't know, maybe like 10 PM. There'd be just other delivery workers. And you'd be like at a red light. We'd kind of have this moment like, oh, that's cool. You, you know, yeah. just <laughs> shared exchanges of.
0: Still winter New York. Yeah. seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> cool.
10: How about... Yeah, so for In the Flesh, we had two big tech challenges. And the first one was how to make... Well, the very first one was shoot this whole film in my bathroom. Many people <laughs> I asked to work with, you know, said no. Because they said, what, you're doing this on a soundstage, right? And I was like, no, I can't afford that. So it was really glad that our DP, Remington Long, came on and, you know, tackled this challenge with my really tiny New York bathroom. But the big thing was how do you make the faucet explode with dirty water without Mm -hmm. actually accessing our plumbing? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I will tell this story. So our shout out to my production designer from another shoot I did, Luke Green. He taught me how to create pressurized water when you don't have that access using a sub pump which is essentially like if you have a big area of water you need to drain, it's a little like vacuum and you attach a hose to it. So we bought a sub pump and our production designer Kit Sheridan and I fashioned this. Well, Kit gets all the credit. This sub pump system where we had a bucket full of disgusting water. We ran a hose from that to to my bathtub faucet, strapped it in using zip ties and wooden planks and shot it. And then just did a bunch of takes. And it was like every time our DP was like, please don't get this all over my camera. Uh-huh. And then our uh, VFX person, Jamie Justin, did a plate. And so then we just put the plate on top. And so just the water from the hose shot was there. And she, Jamie did, I mean, everyone did such a great job. And I, there was even a note where I was like, hey, I don't know if I even allowed to ask this. Can you move the water like a hair more to the right because a little bit off the faucet and she did it. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Did you hear that in the edit when you were editing, asking that question? No, that was like a true post question. Yeah, Me like, yeah. in the shots was just like, whoa,
9: like, like freaking
10: out <laughs> trying, hopefully that everyone didn't hate that this was like so gross. but And I just wanted to also mention the other big tech challenge was the fight scene in the basement and all of my gratitude towards our actors, Edie Modica and Most Stark for trusting me because we did I just got some tips from my friend. He consulted my friend Dave Grant, and we developed our own fight scene in my backyard on wrestling mats. And their like trust, and in me, and in each other, made us able to like do a really violent scene, and have so much fun doing it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So high, highly choreographed, but
10: yeah, yeah. Still,
0: it definitely communicates that like visceral. And it's,
10: and it's because they were both so game and like we had a really deep sense of trust. Trust. We walked through everything. I walked through it with them. And and that was the thing I was the most nervous about. But it ended up not being as big of a challenge mm-hmm. as something like
0: this. Now, Pipes is a actually a great... Good that you're next to each other. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's true, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Pipes is completely animated. So it's yes. a very different process. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest tech challenge when creating it?
6: Well, for me... For, I think for the team, the, the main issue or the main, the biggest challenge was that we were very tightly bound by the schedule of our school, mm-hmm. and that is just and and the problem is that just working on the projects can be such an individual thing, and we had to try to adapt our styles, our workflows to that schedule, and that was that took a lot of energy to get that right, and to. Kind of make it work in the end without missing the important deadlines and to, is a point to school. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of background. So PipeCI yeah, is our bachelor graduation project we did at the University of Arts in Lucerne, Switzerland. So yeah, we we had a fixed. This is like picture lock. This is when the Foley recordings are. This mm-hmm. is when, you know, you need to hand in the final version and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There was no... And also, we had a very fixed, like, you cannot go over three minutes. Yes. And we did anyway, but <laughs> technically, you weren't supposed to go over three yeah. minutes. Both to protect us, to so, so that we don't overwork us. It is now, together with all the credits, four minutes, two seconds. Mm-hmm. So I think without credits, it's like a little... Over 3.30, something like that. We, we had it at three minutes for a long time. Pretty, like, a few seconds more or less, that was still fine. And at a very late animatic stage, we were like, it's just, it's so, so fast. We need a little bit more. Breath. It it's already, even now, it's very fast. But it just, it needed a little, little, little more of a slow start, specifically. Yeah. And, and so we, we just made some more... You know, longer shots and just didn't tell anyone. For <laughs> <a long time. laughs> yeah, we were able to finish the animation because we have super fast animators. Kilian is a very fast animator, so yeah, we were able to finish it in time anyway. But yeah, we I think we we would have loved to to make it longer.
6: But another challenge was that, well, challenge but also kind of a, a positive aspect was that we were three directors actually one of them suchant ravichandran he couldn't be here at sundance but it, uh, that being three directors means that you have to communicate a lot and you have to all the creative des- decisions have to be made in a team and i mean that can be very good for the project because it means you're safer and it means you're you always have someone to ask if you need advice but also it does mean energy and it does mean time For all of this Mm -hmm. talking and organizing? Well,
0: we don't bash film school here at No Film School. A lot of people (laughs) go to film school and and we support it. But I, as a film school dropout, I appreciate (laughs) you guys making, ultimately making the project that broke some of the rules because it was better for the project. Like you Mm -hmm. went over three minutes because you needed to. And I think, you know, (laughs) when I was in film school, there were some folks who didn't have experience outside of, you know, going to college. And there was a lot of, well, the teacher says this. Right. And I think as filmmakers, especially in a master's program.
6: Well, we are lucky, I think, because the school also trusted us to a certain degree. We also made them trust us. We're like, hey, guys, we can do it. I know it seems like a lot of work. And I know you might have had a few bad experiences with people that did way, films that were way too long and took way too much effort. But we were like, hey, we're free people. We can do it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they trusted us.
0: And here you are at Sundance. So yeah, right. but they're really proud. <laughs> they uh, are. Now, Alien 80 is an incredibly technical... There's like a huge lift from a technical perspective. So I just... It, this is probably a loaded question. but what,
3: Which one the challenge we, production we're going to touch? No, I think production maybe. But yeah, we also shot during the pandemic. So that one... Difficult because we didn't have anything. I mean, we needed to buy like a knife and Amazon didn't deliver to Chile. So everything was like a huge problem. But during the four days, three days we we shot, we did everything like in sequence shot. Mm-hmm. And that was like uh, a big challenge because all the sequence shot goes from the exterior to the interior of the house. So that implied a lot of uh, practice and a choreography, Liz, she was like the, how do you say? Uh, uh, focus.
7: The focus on what the first focus
3: And we were like really lucky because she's so talented and work in big production, but she got stuck in Chile because of the pandemic. So she was able to work with us. And mm-hmm. luckily, <laughs> yeah. And it was difficult. I wanted to do the camera too with the DP. And that was another challenge because we have different, so we needed to change the grip and all the equipment, but that make that make it easier also to be able to rest between the shots because they were super, I don't know, heavy,
7: you know. And the house is on, on a hill, so sometimes the DP had have to run with the camera and it was a lot of training. I was very, like, tiring. But also, you two had different body types, so the art department had to have two sets of gloves and clothing for changing. But it was very fun to watch because I was like on the field, like a group of people running around. It was like a body with four parts because Mm -hmm. then the grip uh, operator was also part of the hands that would give out stuff. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it was actually uh, two days of shooting on that spot with one day of pre-lighting and then another day for the testimonial. And then one day where we did the photogrammetry, but that was it. That was like easy, yeah. I think
3: the sequence shot was the most... Difficult, And at some point, we were worried about the light of the day because it was impossible to pretend that it was all the time, the you know, the same daytime. Mm-hmm. But we decided that it would work better for the film, that you never know exactly uh, if it's morning, it's the afternoon, and where are you exactly. And the house itself became a really important location for the, I don't know, in the narrative, in every aspect of the film. But also it was a little tricky because everyone was a little bit lost. It's like in a spiral. So that made a little bit difficult to communicate or mm-hmm. everyone was getting lost or, you know, confused. And we didn't do direct sound either in order to give instruction more freely and there were not dialogues during mm-hmm. those sequence. But then we didn't like, turn on the sound at all, at least to have a reference than to build the sound. That was like a big mistake. So everything uh, you hear is completely made and past, Like every sound of the... Except for the testimonial video of the character. so...
6: It's like yeah. an animation. Yeah, <laughs> actually,
7: I think one of the... Well, uh, Barley got one of her best friends that were three producers to produce her short film, So I guess that kind of helped. I was also like the production manager and the other producer was also the art director with another person. So it wasn't that big of a group and we were all really committed to do it. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of helped. And the other thing was that Vale made a storyboard that was really clear. Even though the part of inside the computer wasn't something we all could visualize at first, but everything that was acted was really like very planned. So we spent all the pandemic uh, planning it we also lived together in that moment, so it was like easy. We would just talk about it constantly. And the other two producers were also very good friends, so everything was really, really planned in the end.
0: A production designer on the shuttle back from the screening was like, her mind was blown, and she was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Alien 89. 89? Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird name. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Now... This is probably the most Sundance question to happen, but I was sitting in a hot tub last night <laughs> and mm-hmm. chatting with people about what they had seen. And, that, and they had come to the Midnight Shorts and somebody was like, you, will you please ask the Claudio song team, what was the inspiration for the Sphincter device?
5: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what was the inspiration? Yeah. I mean,
6: yeah.
3: They want I to promise hear I you say that's
6: something a different, that's a different yeah. question
5: <laughs> yeah. that's not it's, asking about the meaning it's a yeah, inspiration, yeah right I mean it is kind of clear what it is right yeah so it's yeah, i just wanted to create something that felt it was an instrument that i haven't it's supposed to be take it's supposed to take place in the future i want it to be a future a music instrument from the future Simple as that, <laughs> it doesn't have much deeper meaning than that. It has, I mean yeah. It has a lot I'd of deeper ask. meaning.: I said that, I'd
0: ask.
5: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually we actually wrote the song before, so that you know, the sound yeah, I just was like imagining what that instrument sounded like. <laughs>
1: yeah. And that's kind of what I saw. Yeah. Wait, I have a question about it. <laughs> Why does he change fingers?) Oh, I, that's What's a valid question. Yeah.
5: It's a valid question, yeah. That's things that happen when you shoot a scene in three hours. I didn't even, uh, I didn't
2: even notice that. Yeah. Was, good catch. How you was there it? something
5: on his finger the first time? It's like another, a condom or something? Another time-related question. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, when you shoot so fast, right? It's, it's probably take three and we didn't have time to reset. So, so the hole was lubed. So it was just lube. On his finger. <laughs> and we forgot to clean it out. But, but <laughs> it When added? I see it now, I like that.
4: Yeah. It, it mm, feels yeah. like he
5: came prepared. Right. Yeah. It like... almost looks like a little condom, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. It, yeah.
4: it felt…
10: It was satisfying. I don't know. Something about it was satisfying.
4: Yeah. It's like a reed for a clarinet, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well,
10: that's what I thought. The different fingers was like, that's just how you play the instrument.
4: That's right. I like yeah. a trumpet
10: every… Yeah. yeah.
5: And, and
3: where is the instrument now?
5: Yeah. Uh, we made two in case one of them broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one is David kept one and his, his wife haven't allowed him to kind of... It's, it's still in a box somewhere. Yeah. Uh, my wife, though, she's a psychologist. She loved it. Mm-hmm. So it's in her apartment in a glass jar. <laughs> the bookshelf. Yeah.
0: Well, we can open it up for questions that y'all have for each other. Or we could go around and say in a couple of sentences the advice that you'd have for somebody who is starting out as a filmmaker. You guys get to choose your own adventure.
2: I have a question for Daphne. So what is the water? What's it made of? The dirty water?
10: Oh, the brown water? Is it actual sewage? No. <laughs> no, I would never do that to my I crew. was just curious when you, no, before no. when you were talking about it. Um, no, curious. it's just water and dirt from my backyard and brown tempera paint and some rocks. We just We have a backyard in the house. So we just, Kit and I went out there with some shovels and just started digging up crap. And
4: what's the other stuff?
10: The goo? <coughs> yeah. It is this sculpting gelatin that oh. we did paint and added like a little bit of black paint and then gold. And then we made like an edible version and a non-edible.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, That's the question. What's coming out of the orifice, right? Can everybody yeah, answer that? Everyone
10: answer your uh, effects, special effects.
4: <laughs> what, what's coming? What, what is that? How did you make that?
3: The like the ingredients, I think is
8: hair.
9: <laughs> real yeah, hair? Yeah. It's,
4: it's yeah. not real. Yeah, well, uh, it is actually.
8: It's real hair. Hair. Yeah. Yeah. Because we. Because, it's, the, organic. it's
6: organic. It's organic. Yeah. It's a, Who got a haircut?
8: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, we live in Kutkenu, it's like a small village in Northern Norway. You only have grocery stores and uh, gas stations. So we don't have, you know, saloons where, or where, you, can, where you can buy extensions. So we had to order those extensions from Oslo, uh, and the SFX uh, makeup came from Oslo. Brought the extensions, black extensions, and those were drenched in in uh, SFX blood, so and goo and stuff like that. So that's somebody asked if it's is, is it a placenta that's coming out? Uh, no, it's not a placenta. It's, it's hair. She pulls out hair from the from between the legs at the end, and there's, there's, there's a lot of more lot of more hair shots, but. We cut them out because we saw hair already in the inside, the, you know, the tent. Yeah, she mm-hmm. pulled it out of her, her mouth, so we cut them out. In the end, there's a lot of more hair. In the end, in, in the end, <laughs> the problem with the whole thing was the main actor was uh, pregnant in real life. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah, she was kind of hesitant to to take the role because of that. You know, it, she is like, superstitious. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and hesitant to take the role, and. We had the Corona spike in that village at the time. One of Two of our crew members had Corona and we were trying to protect the pregnant lady from Corona. So we were like, and we didn't want to tell, she didn't want to tell the crew, the whole crew about the pregnancy. So just a little bit of a little part of the crew knew me, the DP, director, and the costume wardrobe people. So we were trying to protect her from everyone else. No, 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 don't go close to the actor. And it was cold, you know,
1: protect her from the cold and stuff like that. So it was, yeah,
4: yeah. Oh my gosh
1: you Oscar so how did you I'm just gonna assume that I saw what I saw was real how did you get two apartments across from each other how did you get that shot seeing the two of them across each other like how did you do any of that I like that that's the stuff to me that I just look at it and I go oh if I was trying to write that script that's the first thing I'd be like well that's not gonna happen so yeah. you know I'll, it'll be
4: something else but how what is that like how did you do it uh, I mean, that's I've been living in New York for 15 years and I know a lot of people at this point and I've asked lots of people if I can shoot in their apartment. or And I knew, I was like, we have to have the two apartments at least that, could, that have the vantage point. And I, I love our locations manager. is great, but it just the time of year was a lot of... I knew that I was going to kind of have to do that myself. So the big loft apartment is a friend of mine's, who's this guy, one of the first people I met when I moved to New York, Nick Poe. And he rents it out now and he kind of cut us a, a break. And then I, I was like, okay, that would be pretty good, but I need another place that can see. And that's the intersection of Allen and Canal Street downtown. So it was January, like Omicron taking over the United States. Everybody masked. And I was just like, whatever. So I was just knocking on doors really with a flyer that was like "Want to help me on my movie (laughs) and, and slipping them under doors and whoever would buzz me up, probably thinking I was a delivery worker. (laughs) I would just slide my flyers under the doors. And I got a bunch of responses from the place that was right across the street. And then once I had one person who was willing to do it, I got another. And then, and I'd asked Nick, do you know, I saw this apartment like three blocks over. And I was like, do you know anybody over there? And he started talking about... And he's, he actually grew up in New York City. So he has maybe a, a deeper network than I do. And he was like, yeah, I know the guy who has that apartment up there. We sometimes like point laser pointers at each other <laughs> and just goof around. And I like started bugging this guy who's kind of a famous... He, him and his wife are kind of famous, actually. They're extremely successful. Um, he hit me back on Instagram and was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I think I don't. people in New York are really, when they sense that it's something that you're just making for love, they're like, and, and it's a small thing they can do to help out. So then suddenly uh, his assistant let us in four times to go up on the roof to get that shot, which was a composite of a few different things. You can actually, if you look closely, you can see that like the billboard changes from Batman to something, yeah. but yeah, it was really just knocking on doors and trusting that somebody would say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah.
10: But did you, but was it seamless? Was there like when the man in the bigger apartment is like watching, I feel like that, I know what you're, sh- what shot you're talking about, where were we, were we as the viewer can see both bodies in the separate apartments moving at the same time. Yeah. Were those at the same time? Was that?
4: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I. That was kind of a, I was like, if we have, the movie came together very quickly. And once, and Babs was this actor who I knew about. And I felt like if he was down, then we didn't really need to have a discussion. Like he could, or we would talk about it, but I was comfortable just offering him the role versus doing auditions. And he said he had this very small window. So suddenly I had to crunch my script from 40 pages to, to 20 and try to figure out how we could do it. And I was like, if we have Babs and then we have two apartments where you can actually, where it's real, because you see it, right? When you watch movies, you, you see them cheated all the all time. Right. You can tell right away. And you can imagine the producer being like, oh, it'll look fine. So yeah. I was like, it has to be real. That's just like the minimum. And I kind of knew that I was going to have to lead by example, knocking on doors yeah, and bugging strangers yeah. until we had that uh, set up. And it turned out great.
0: Well, thank you all so much for being here and for making an incredi- incredible work. Um, can we go around one more time, say your name, your film, and where our listeners can follow your work?
6: Well, um, yeah, I'm Killian Foisy again from the short movie Pipes. And
2: I'm Jessica Meyer, also one of the co-directors of the movie Pipes. And I mean, we're doing more festivals around the world, of course, but uh, also uh, we have an Instagram where you can follow us. (laughs) It's pipes underscore movie. And if you, I don't know, want to chat with us, we have an email. It's pipes movie. Which when you
0: email, it says Bob. Yeah, it says
2: Bob Klempner and Klempner is just a German word for plumber. (laughs) And Bob is the name of the main character of the plumber. It was, we, we just, Thought it was funny. And I was like, who's Bob? What was, is he the yeah. producer? We, got, we actually got so many emails. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. <laughs> Just following up. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah really. But it was very funny from like Sundance staff and everything. Hi, hey, Bob. Like, okay, but this is Kilian and Jessica. But Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having us. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: thank you so much.
3: Well, I'm um, Valeria Hoffman from Alien 89. And uh, you can follow our Instagram account, which is Alien0089.
7: And I'm Daniela Camino. I'm the producer. We also have a production company called Nimbre Films and you can find us on Instagram. Uh, and we're going to Rotterdam after this. So yay. Congrats. That's the Congrats. second screening. The European premiere. And then afterwards, we're not sure, but we have a very close group of friends working on the festival distribution. So we hope to travel around.
8: Uh, yeah, my name is Per Yusuf Iduoma. I'm the producer of Unborn Biru. Uh, and I run a production company called Forest People. You can find us on Instagram, Forest People. A S. Uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, our short movie it won an award yesterday.
1: Amazing. Yeah,
8: in Norway, because it was screened at the same time in, in Tromsø International Film Festival. So he won the Tromsø Palm uh, Award. Congratulations. Yeah. That's five thousand euros for the director. Yes. <laughs>
9: Yeah, I'm Ingae Elimarakat. I'm the direct- director of Unborn Biru. and you can follow me on Instagram, Elimarakat.
5: Andreas Nilsson, director of Claudio Song. We don't have any Instagram connected to Claudio Song. Lives his own in life. I think it's gonna screen on Claremont next, and I have something they call a website. It's called nixonnoxin.com as my
1: work. Ben Brewer directed A Folded Ocean. You can follow more of me or the film at Instagram, Brewer Films Instagram. I forgot to apply to any other film festivals. So I don't know where it's playing. If you just, if anyone wants to see
4: it, they can just email me. I'll give you a Vimeo link. Oscar Boyson, Power Signal. I, you can follow me on Instagram at Skip McCoy.
10: I'm Daphne Gardner and I'm the writer-director of In the Flesh. And we are heading to London, Brussels, and Berlin in the next three weeks. Super stoked for that. And that's, I don't know. That's great.
5: Cloudy's in London as well, the London Short.
10: Yeah, are you London okay. Short Film
5: Fest? Yeah, are you going?
10: No, I, I wish, but okay, this was it, my trip. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could though, that's so awesome. That's next weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I think one twenty-seven, one twenty-six. I don't know, yeah, one of those days.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in and to our guests. Looking back at this conversation, these filmmakers left me feeling inspired and excited to make things. I feel like the Midnight Shorts should be something that all filmmakers come to see and come to celebrate because they're pushing boundaries in terms of storytelling. And also you're seeing people who are putting themselves out there as filmmakers. It's the seeds of community. I remember in 2020, I came to the Sundance Film Festival. I fell in love with a short called Valerio's Day Out. And a couple of weeks later, I reached out to the filmmaker and now he's a great friend of mine who I send all my shorts to and vice versa. So as these midnight shorts come out in the world, connect with these folks, they are just in the trenches with us in the best way possible. And I hope that you feel as inspired by this conversation. Keep an eye out for this Polaroid that's floating around of all the filmmakers and something spooky inside of it. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. You can rate and subscribe to us across all podcast platforms. You can find us on the web at nofilmschool.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and send us your questions at editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks for listening.